and welcome to the Dairy Dialogue podcast, and it's number 134, and we're now definitely toward the end of May. Almost time to start thinking about Christmas shopping. I'm Jim Cornall, editor of Dairy Reporter, and it's been another week with decent weather here in this part of Scotland. I'm never really sure whether it's west or southwest, as it's kind of in between the two. So geographically confused, and not for the first time. It's been a very busy week as well, lots of news to deal with, and the joys of trying to buy a used vehicle and all of the fun that goes along with that. The wonderful filling in of multiple forms, getting insurance, and all kinds of other hurdles, one of which involved taking a selfie, really. So it looks like at the weekend I'll be headed off to Glasgow, which under normal circumstances wouldn't be a big deal, but any travel these days is very welcome. Although Glasgow, which is the biggest city in Scotland, does have a bit of a COVID spike at the moment. So of course it's important to be careful. I did have a bit of disappointment this week, but in the grand scheme of things on a global scale, it's not really that important, as I was eagerly awaiting the new CD this week from one of my favourite bands, and it's been delayed by a month. I guess given the fact that we waited for so many other things, I can wait a month, and as if I had the time to listen to it anyway. I do see online there are concerts starting to take place in some countries, so that's definitely a positive, and we do need to cling to as many positive bits of news as we can these days. Before we do get to the news, it's time to let you know who our guests are this week. We have conversations with Mike Leonard, Motif Foodworks Chief Technology Officer, Jing Haggart, VP of Human Nutrition Ingredients Sales for Milk Specialties Global, and Eugene Wang, co-founder and CEO of Sophie's Bionutrients. And of course, we also have a regular look at the global dairy markets with Liam Fenton at StoneX. And so let's take a brief look at this week's news. We'll kick things off with three from Danone. The company has a new CEO, while well, it does starting in September. It's also sold its share in the Chinese dairy company Mengyu, and Danone North America has given out student grants for yogurt, probiotic, and gut microbiome research. Danone isn't the only company with changes at the top, as Group Bell announced this week, changes to its governance structure. Great Lakes Cheese broke ground on its new $184.5 million Texas cheese plant, and that will be a feature on next week's podcast. Saco System launched its agro-food business unit. A Spanish-inspired cheese won the top award at the UK's Virtual Cheese Awards. And in Australia, the ACCC is urging dairy code compliance as the deadline looms. Kerry has set up a new Australian headquarters and innovation hub. The Hong Kong Consumer Council did some testing, and that led to a warning about cheese consumption for fat and sodium content. And the California Dairy Innovation Contest is back again. You can read all of these and plenty more at DairyReporter.com. So let's get to the important part, and that's this week's interviews. Food technology company Motif Foodworks has gained exclusive access to two technologies with the potentials to transform the consumer experience with plant-based meat and cheese alternatives. To tell us about the technology and what it all means is Mike Leonard, Motif Foodworks Chief Technology Officer. The first and obvious question is if I could just start with a bit of background on the company and 
what you are and what you do? Yeah, so Motif Foodworks is an ingredient innovation company. And we're here to make plant-based food taste better and more nutritious, and really to enable the creation of plant-based foods that people actually crave. Um, so we wanna do that using what, what we think is a really unique and breakthrough approach to developing ingredients and showing customers what's possible with new ingredient technologies in plant-based foods. So we take an approach where we understand the fundamental consumer need, and then we look at those problems through a very rigorous root cause analysis using basic science and engineering principles from the ground up. And we've got unique technology engines and advantage technology engines that we use to create new ingredients to the world. And the two technologies that we're talking about today are good examples of that, this uh, extrudable fat and corn prolimin technology. They solve major issues with respect to uh, consumer gaps in plant-based dairy and uh, plant-based meat. I think everyone knows if you're a consumer of plant-based foods, you know that you're not really getting the experience you sign up for with a plant-based product. And you're seeing big differences in texture and taste and even nutrition in some of the plant-based food forms that you consume versus the animal counterparts. These products that we're developing now are really unique and fantastic because they help to close big gaps, especially with cheese. We can make cheese stretch and melt like real cheese with this corn prolimin technology. And with the extrudable fat technology, we can actually create that marbling effect that you see in animal meat and, and animal fat. That's a really hard thing to replicate. And a lot of people are working on this, but we've recently acquired exclusive access to those two technologies. In the case of extrudable fat, we purchased the intellectual property outright. So Motif owns it. And we have an exclusive license to the corn prolimin technology for cheese from the University of Guelph. So we're very excited about these two technologies. The genesis of it was this design thinking around what are the fundamental principles that we need to put in place to make these applications better? Uh, and then over the past year, we've been working with um, Alex Marangoni at University of Guelph to bring these to life. So we're extremely excited to be uh, talking about this today. And you know, it's just another example of how our approach of going from fundamentals to commercializable, impactful ingredients can really work. And when it comes to creating products like that, what's the first step? Is it realizing what's missing and then trying to find technologies that can create that? Yeah, at Motif, we really start with that deep analysis phase. So we follow a three-step process to get at what you're asking about, Jim. It's, it starts with analyze, and that means understanding what the consumers need at a very deep level. So we spend a lot of time talking to consumers, doing fundamental research and consumer preference and liking we have a lot of feedback from uh, customers as well who are coming to us proactively saying, hey, I see you guys you know, acquired a license to this technology. We've read about this. We know how this can impact our product line. Tell us more about it. Can we work together? Customers will tell us a lot about what their needs are too. So we spend a lot of time understanding what the problem is to solve. And then we select technologies that address that. That makes Motif different in a lot of ways. But one way is that you know a lot of companies operating in this space, they have a technology and they'll kind of push it out and say, what can I solve with this technology? So I've got some really good, for example, synthetic biology capabilities and strain engineering for dairy proteins. How can I use that to solve a whole bunch of problems? We really go from the consumer backwards instead of from technology up. So it starts with that deep understanding of what's the problem we wanna solve? And we will pick whatever technologies are required and in many cases invent technologies to create ingredients that address those challenges. And we do that with our customers with an eye towards commercialization Another thing about Motif that's important to understand is that our, our team comprises folks from all over the food industry and also different disciplines in science and technology. We all have extensive experience in commercialization as well as upstream science. So we know what it takes to invent 
but we also know what it takes to execute commercially. And that's another example with both the extrudable fat technology that we just acquired from Coasun and the corn prolamin technology with University of Guelph. It's not a research project. We know how to commercialize this stuff. And we've got the corn prolamin technology in our pipeline for launch late next year. So we're very interested in the science, but execution and making these things easy for customers to use is critically important. And that's something we're very good at. And when it comes to the plant-based cheese alternatives, what were the challenges that you were facing that you were wanting to address? You know, as a guy, you know, who's been in the food industry for 18 years, it's the only industry I've worked in. Although my training is not in food, I have a background in chemistry and polymer science and engineering. So really more material science. I've spent my whole career in food. And it turns out there are a lot of material science problems to solve in food. And that's kind of the lens that we bring when we talk about these challenges. It's like, what are the real material physics issues to go solve? And plant-based cheese is a great example. I have a passion for food in general, but cheese is close to my heart as well. If you look at the taste, the texture, the functional performance, if you try to melt plant-based cheese on a pizza, good luck with that. You're going to be stuck with an oily starch paste in most cases. So what we're so excited about with this corn prolamin technology is that we can actually create a plant-based cheese without using any sort of animal proteins that can actually stretch and melt the way you'd expect dairy cheese to stretch and melt. And it does that through some unique rheological properties and some some really cool science that we were able to discover with the, the University of Guelph. And now we have exclusive access to that tech. Um, but basically you form a network with this, with this Zane material and you treat it in a special way. That's the basis of the IP. And you can create a product that actually stretches and melts, has the right rheological properties as a function of temperature. So you get that gooey, stretchy, melty experience that you expect. You don't have to settle for a hot gel or an oily starch paste anymore. We're thrilled about that because we think the bar has to be way, way higher for plant-based cheese. And so uh, I think our customers agree with that and, and are excited to partner with us on it. You mentioned that stretch but obviously it has to have other properties as well, such as flavor and appearance. Are those addressed by this as well? Yeah, those are factors that we will optimize for as well. Our first target, Jim, was really to figure out like the biggest challenge. How can we get the mechanical properties and the thermal properties to be right? Flavor we can manage. Appearance we can manage. I think the texture is the tougher Rubik's Cube to solve for. <laughs> And so that, that was our first priority. And really between now and when we commercialize, it'll be exactly what you said. It's getting the flavor right, getting the color dialed into where it needs to be. And really, you know, every customer is going to have a different view on how that needs to play out. But, you know, this technology is really addressing what we think is the core issue that's limiting adoption of plant-based cheese. It's that functionality. It's that disappointment that people feel when they melt it, the disappointment they feel when they try to do what they normally do with cheese. But Absolutely. Part of what we do here at Motif, too, is optimize the whole formula. We're not just working on one ingredient and saying, here, take this ingredient customer and make it work. We will show them how to make it work and create a really compelling food form out of it. The collaboration that you have with Guelph, how did that come about and what does that involve? Yeah, we really kicked this collaboration off in uh, late 2019. And we have relationships with uh, Professor Alex Marangoni, who's one of the world's leading food scientists, food engineers in the area of food materials and lipids. And so uh, Alex is a world-renowned guy. A lot of people want to work with him, but Alex and our team really think alike. We look at challenges from a fundamental science and material standpoint. I visited his lab. 
he showcased a whole bunch of technologies that his team was working on. And we selected a few to said, look, these are really promising and we want to develop them further. So it started with us just talking to Alex in depth and selecting some key strategic programs to collaborate on. And for the past year, we've had an exclusive option to evaluate the corn prolamin technology, as well as the extrudable fat that came out of his lab. And just recently, we executed our option to essentially acquire those technologies for Motif. So it, it started with a science conversation and a sort of collective sense of urgency to make a difference. And that partnership has just grown. And it's a great example of how, you know, partnering with universities and researchers that share our passion for solving problems through science and technology and really raising the game in this space, that's really exciting. And we're thrilled to be working with, with Alex and uh, the University of Guelph. When you talk about regular cheese, there are thousands of different kinds of cheese with many different kinds of properties like blue cheese, soft cheese, hard cheese, smoked cheeses. What are your plans in the plant-based cheese area? Yeah, we've got a large number of uh, projects we're working on right now in plant-based cheese. The uh, corn prolamin technology is one example of an ingredient that solves what we think is a major consumer need, but it doesn't solve everything. <laughs> and so we've got a variety of projects in our portfolio that address texture, taste, appearance of plant-based dairy in general and plant-based cheese. This is one example, but we're very tuned into the need to adapt texture and flavor across a wide range of cheese types. And you've got a variety of cheese characteristics and a variety of eating occasions. People expect different experiences depending on what occasion they're enjoying the product. So we've got many options that we're developing now, This, but this, this one is one we're particularly excited about and expect to bring to market first in the context of everything we're doing there. And as far as melt goes as well, there are different kinds of melt. You mentioned the pizza, the sort of the mozzarella style for pizza, but then there's the burger slices that have to melt as well. Um, some companies have developed some of that already. How, how will yours differ from that? Yeah, we think that our technology will be complementary to what other companies are doing in this space. And the beauty in general of the plant-based food and ingredient space is that there's still a lot of room for everyone to innovate and contribute. It's not a zero-sum game. There's a lot of runway for everyone. So we feel that this corn prolamin technology that really enhances stretch and melt of plant-based cheese can work together with other strategies that you know other companies are, are using, you know, different starch types and different formulation tools. You know, we feel that this is a platform technology where you can vary the composition and you can have a, a continuous range of properties. It's not just locking into hey, if I put this in, I get one output, you can tune it. We still have a lot of work to do to figure out all the possibilities there, but we feel that what we're doing here is very complementary to what potential customers would want. Uh, and that's consistent with the feedback that we've already gotten. As soon as we made the announcement last year that we had this option agreement with Guelph, we received a lot of interest about, hey, when can we start partnering with you guys on this? Um, but it is a complementary approach, we feel. What kind of end applications do you see for products that you'll be able to develop? Because obviously we mentioned the mozzarella, the burger slices, and, and also there's food service and there's end consumer. What, what do you see as the future for those products that you're developing? You covered it pretty well, Jim. I mean, we're, we're looking at applications where that melt and stretch is really important. So you think of slice on slice, processed cheese, pizza cheese, um, you know, even IQF applications for cheese. So the whole range of cheese applications where that functionality would matter. And again, there's going to be synergy between this ingredient and other things that we're developing in our portfolio, but also with what customers are doing. So we think that the application landscape for this ingredient is very broad and 
if you look at the whole plant-based food space and where the biggest gaps exist, I think cheese is right at the top of the list. Plant-based meats come a long way. Plant-based milks have come a long way, thanks to what almond milk folks have done and um, the alternative milk companies have done. But cheese is way, way behind. So I think going out initially with applications that will really benefit from stretch and melt and that enhanced sort of gooiness and functional performance that you want, that's going to set the stage for much more expansion. We'll also discover more. We'll keep innovating and we'll figure out ways to continue to improve with this ingredient and the others that we're developing. I just thought of queso cheese as well. That's another one that I never even thought about before. Yeah, think about dips. Think about applications where, you know, what's your expectation? You dip that chip into that melted queso. You want something to happen. There's an experience that goes beyond just eating the cheese itself. It's an event, right? You've got this stretch and this amazing, you have to cut it with scissors, right? That's the experience we want to help bring to our customers. And you don't want it to either shatter when it hits the cheese or you, there's so many factors to it, right? It's not just one factor. That's another important point, Jim, because, you know, at Motif, we're concerned with the total formulation. And I think this is another important point. If you think about, well, what's Motif all about? What makes Motif different? We're great at developing ingredients and we're using that basic science approach and new technologies to do that. But we also understand the importance of acting like a CPG company in the way that we have to develop finished products that really showcase how the technology can be used. So we invest a lot of resources in making really compelling finished products that are worthy of being put on a retail shelf or in a food service environment, food service menu. So that requires pretty good knowledge of how the whole formulation needs to be adapted and work. And in general, customer that comes to you, they don't want to do a lot of development work with your ingredient. You need to show them how to make a great product. And that's why, you know, on on my team here at Motif and R&D, we spend a lot of time doing food design, culinary optimization, understanding all the components of the formula that need to work together to make the most of the ingredient. That's critical. And again, with all the experience we have on our team from both the CPG space, ingredient space, basic science, we know how to bring all that together. And I guess one thing is the physical characteristics of the cheese. But then when it comes to going into a fast food restaurant and you buy something that has melted cheese on it, and you don't really want to look up at the screen and see that the plant-based version costs an extra dollar or two dollars, how do you address the cost effectiveness of these products? Yeah, I think there's a hunger for better products across the board. And I think every customer has aspirations to capture more opportunity as they innovate on their menu. So, you know, the the pricing questions are really up to customers to figure out what's their strategy to grow their plant-based brand. Our job, again, is to show from a pragmatic commercial lens, how can we make the biggest difference with game-changing ingredients that can enable a customer to have more flexibility on that end? Our goal is to raise that bar so high that there's a benefit that people are recognizing and valuing. So it's it's not just about, well, we're going to replace one thing for another, and it's sort of an incremental change. We're not about incremental change at Motif. This is about step changing the experience for the customer and consumer. And we think that that will create more value in the whole ecosystem. So as the CTO here, my job is to keep that bar as high as possible and to make sure the experience we deliver is is outstanding every time. And I guess you now also have a new facility. I wonder if you could tell me about that and what it means for the company going forward. Absolutely. Yeah, we're thrilled to be here at our new site in in Boston. As I mentioned, it's a little over 10,000 square feet. Half of that space is labs. And by the way, over half of our company is R&D right now. So we're very, very technology driven. There are four labs and they really embody our analyze, discover and design approach that I've been discussing, right? Understanding the fundamentals of why ingredients and formulations behave the way they do discovering new ingredients and solutions to address those gaps, and then designing finished products that bring all that technology to life 
in ways that customers, investors, consumers can understand. Because nobody understands ingredient technology, but everyone understands great food. That's our job. So our labs really follow that whole approach. We've got a food science lab and an analytical lab that have very basic characterization tools to understand the physics of how food works. We've also got an extensive network of partnerships with uh, researchers and universities. University of Guelph is one example of that, where we partner to do basic research on a lot of those same themes, material science of food. We don't duplicate those capabilities in-house. We have some key ones here and we complement that with our partners. We've also got a, a bioprocessing lab for parts of our portfolio that depend on fermentation, which this one doesn't, by the way. Corn prolamine is not based on any bioprocess or fermentation. For those that do, we can make materials in-house. Our partner, uh, Ginkgo Bioworks, is on the eighth floor of this building. We're on the second floor. So they can come right downstairs, hand us a rack of microbes, and we can go make materials in our own lab. And then we can bring those across the hall to our food applications and culinary lab, which is our biggest lab, where we can actually design and build really amazing food forms uh, and have people come in and sample and, and experiment with us. So we can go end to end from analyze, discover to design under one roof. And with Ginkgo being just upstairs, you know, it's a really powerful innovation engine when we're talking about fermentation. And so some of our portfolio ingredients are based on that. But corn prolamine, this is a unique technology that's based on a totally different approach. It's based on more fundamental food engineering and food science. But that's our approach here at Motif. We are agnostic to the technology platform. Whatever technology solves the consumer need the best, we're going to go for it. Uh, and this is how uh, we ended up with the partnership with Guelph. And you said there's already been interest in what you're doing from companies. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think the University of Guelph and, and Alex Marangoni are, are well known throughout the industry. So whenever they make an announcement or they talk about working on something, people usually listen. And we're very pleased and grateful for the relationship we have with them. Our phones have been very active with customers with uh, portfolios they want to grow in the plant-based dairy space. Uh, and in particular, this technology has caught the attention of many customers. And so um, you know, we're excited to now go full speed ahead on commercial development. And you know, again, we go from research project, which it was last year, to, all right, how do we get this to market? And we know how to do that. We're not just stuck in the research phase. We know how to make this thing a commercial reality. So that's what we're working on now. Next, we're talking lactoferrin. Milk Specialties Global, an international whey and milk protein producer, is entering the lactoferrin market following a multi-million dollar investment at the company's Fond du Lac, Wisconsin facility. With all of the details is Jing Haggart, VP of Human Nutrition Ingredients Sales for Milk Specialties Global. I wonder if you could tell me when and why you decided to enter the lactoferrin market? Um, we actually have been uh, talking about lactoferrin for many, many years. And we know that it's a fractionated of our dairy protein manufacturing, primarily in the whey protein side. And it makes a lot of sense for us to get into lactoferrin in milk specialties because for our business that we are currently the largest whey processor in North America today. So there's a lot of whey liquid travels through our manufacturing facilities. So with that foundation, it's right in our wheelhouse. Dairy protein is who we are. And we have very strong customer relationships that helps to drive it. We want to meet their needs and grow with them. So we're definitely in the perfect wheelhouse to get into lactoferrin production. 
our company is lo- uh, primarily located in the Midwest, very close to a lot of the world-class supply chain. So we're close to our um, liquid way incoming. Um, we're right in line with where the consumers are looking for. More health-focused options, lactoferrin is definitely the key and the answer for it. What's so important about lactoferrin right now? Is that because health and wellness is becoming so important? And, and has the pandemic changed that any? I would say the discussion started about lactoferrin long time ago, uh, long before the pandemic. We pay very close attention to involving consumer demands that help enforce the importance of this project for us. We're definitely a consumer-driven company, and the desire to meet the needs of customers is something drives this project more than anything and more faster than where we are today. The consumer level had a need for lactoferrin, and we have the capabilities to produce it, and we felt like that it's very important that we want to exceed and meet their expectations. And what are you doing at Fond du Lac to be able to produce lactoferrin, and when will you start to see it being sold? Fond du Lac is really the ideal location to produce lactoferrin. Um, As an organization, we have 10 facilities across the U.S., um, we do have a world-class supply chain in our backyard. We're very close to all the cheese source um, where whey is incoming to. It's definitely the transportation hub for a lot of the liquid incoming. And it's a great workforce that's already known how to make consistent products at base out of Fond du Lac, primarily focusing on uh, whey protein and whey processing location. It's definitely a capital improvement on the existing footprint for us to get into lactoferrin at this location. And our goal is to fully operational for the lactoferrin project by the beginning of June. So in a couple of weeks. Oh, wow. That soon. That's great. What will the range of lactoferrin products be that you'll be able to supply to your customers? Within the lactoferrin product family and categories today, uh, we'll be ranging from 0.15% all the way up to a 95% purity lactoferrin content. So it depends on the type of products and also the concentration levels that our customers are looking for, and it will go towards different types of applications and utilization. What can lactoferrin be used in? Lactoferrin today is a core ingredient in many infant formula and uh, nutritional products. The marketplace just beginning to realize the potential of lactoferrin and uh, utilization and in different applications, um, including in uh, health supplements, medical nutrition products, health-focused, ready-to-mix and ready-to-drink type products, health-focused snacks. There's so many potential for lactoferrin to go into various of different type of applications. Our R&D team is working on and also customizing the capabilities of lactoferrin. So we want to work with our customers to ensure that they get exactly what they want and exactly what they need and uh, fit into the type of products that they wanted to bring forth to the consumer level. Are you able to work with your customers and sort of suggest things to them and, and work with them on new product formulation? Definitely. And uh, I would say started uh, five, six years ago, we started getting a lot more closer, tighter relationship with our customers base. And we started growing with a brainstorm session on R&D development that we get to learn, learn about their brand images, positioning, their marketing ideas, and also their R&D capability, which allowing opening the doors to come in, learn about protein, learn about the expertise in protein, protein functionalities, so that we can marry some of those ideas together. So at the same time, we're presenting concept applications to our customers, and they can come in and modify those concepts and see how it fits into their brand, how they fit into the messages that they want to send to their audience. 
And do you sell your ingredients regionally or globally? Um, We actually, our ingredients grow across the globe. So not only in North America, U.S. market, we also ship our ingredients, our dairy proteins internationally. We reach to roughly about 86 countries today, and we're definitely developing more. There's more health focus. There's more awareness as far as on uh, dairy protein incorporating into a daily life. And as we're extending to applications that's reaching into general food items, kind of like yogurt applications or like baby formulas or infant formulas that we're working on. So those are the products incorporating protein or protein fortifications are getting more and more popular across the globe, which allowing our ingredients to also extend it out to countries and customers that we have not talked to or spoken to before. You said that the consumers are starting to get more aware of ingredients and and things like lactoferrin how will the companies that you work with be able to use that benefit in terms of labeling health claims that kind of thing yeah definitely that's a really great question consumers want healthier options and lactoferrin can definitely be a part of the solution Um, the research around lactoferrin is very compelling and there's a growing body of it and there's research pertaining the benefit of lactoferrin and immunity support And recent studies related to lactoferrin also immune response in COVID patients too. So, and there's also research pertaining to the benefit of lactoferrin and iron absorption. And research pertaining to benefit of lactoferrin and gut health, there are just so many of them. And the most important thing is that lactoferrin is an all-natural product. And how does the new lactoferrin range of products fit in with your overall NutriPro family of products? Lactoferrin is definitely the flagship of our NutriPro product line. Um, we'll be offering alpha lactobumin and uh, MFGM this year as well, and those are also additional two ingredients that will be falling within our NutriPro line. It comes back to the same reasons: consumers want healthier options, and definitely the immune response, gut health. Those are health-focused messages that uh, brands are focusing on. We want to meet the needs of our customers and through a portfolio of products um, with enhanced health benefits. So the entire NutriPro product line or NutriPro family line, they're all fits into the same messages. And I guess you're constantly mm-hmm. working on new products all the time, I would imagine. Definitely, definitely. Um, we're also very innovative looking into different applications or manners, how these products could be incorporated, whether it's a ready-to-eat type form of product or ready-to-drink or ready-to-mix. We actually have upcoming uh, webinars in June that we will be messaging and specifically uh, talk more about lactoferrin. In June, that we'll be doing a series of webinars to introduce products and introducing the NutriPro product line a little bit more. And at the same time that we are started rolling out some of the concept products to incorporating uh, lactoferrin, incorporating the other ingredients in the NutriPro family line, the alpha lactobumin and also the MFGM. So we started introducing uh, a gummy that's actually containing lactoferrin as an ingredient that delivers 200 milligrams of lactoferrin uh, in a small dosage per serving. So those are some of the innovative ideas and concepts that we wanted to message out to a customer where lactoferrin could be used, what's the benefit of it, and we'll, we'll continue to give the consumer and also our customers the options to learn about the benefit of these ingredients at the same time, how to utilize these ingredients.
And now it's on to some more cutting-edge technology, which is both fascinating and even has interplanetary implications. Sophie's Bionutrients is a Singapore-based, next-generation, sustainable urban food production technology company, and it has developed the world's first microalgae-based milk alternatives. Because of the major interest that it's caused, it took a while to connect, but I'm glad that we did get the chance to chat with Eugene Wang, co-founder and CEO of Sophie's Bionutrients. All right. So I wonder if you could tell me about the origins of the company and even the name, because the name is quite interesting. As well. I know. I know. The name has a lot of uh, profound uh, meaning to me, actually. It's my daughter, actually. She's where all the inspiration or aspiration coming from. I was born and grew up in Taiwan, by the way. So as you know, a lot of the vegetarian people in Asia, they, they eat uh, vegetarian food uh, for centuries. And Basically, those foods are what my family made. And so when I learned my daughter Sophie's allergic reaction to the shellfish, especially shrimp, I actually started another company back in 2010 in California called Sophie's Kitchen. Now, today, that company is still running. You know, I'm no longer managing that business anymore. Uh, But along the last almost 10 years or so, when I was managing that business, I kept getting a question from my consumers. They were all asking, can your plant-based seafood product have equivalent nutritional value? Well, short answer is no, because we're using potato starch, pea protein. How can it be, you know? But that got me thinking. People think seafood is healthy, or so they think. I always want to say that. But in any case, if they think seafood is healthy, and you want them to give up or try something else to replace it, you got to give them something better. And so that's how I started to think, hey, so all these fishes, shrimp, they got their nutrients by eating planktons, microalgae especially. So why are we eating these animals in order to get the nutrients? Why can we not get the nutrients directly from these planktons? Well, it turns out eating these planktons directly is just not delicious. So that got me thinking, can we use these microalgae, these planktons, and made it into delicious foods? And that's how it got me into this alternative protein from microalgae project. And along the way, I have a lot of discoveries, a lot of uh, shocking discoveries, actually, which I'm going to talk about later uh, with more questions from you. But to sum up, that's how I got into the business pretty much. How did that transform into making uh, microalgae for or using microalgae to produce milk? Right. So microalgae, initially we were thinking of using microalgae to make into plant meat. But then what we found out is that microalgae, the strain that we're working with, does not have the kind of uh, viscosity in between the protein molecules to allow us to make it into this meat-like texture, the biting texture. However, with a little bit help of fat, lipid, it does have a wonderful uh, foaming ability, even a little bit emulsification that you can make into a wonderful dairy alternative. 
a lot of the friends that I know, they may not like plant meat. They may not like plant-based、uh, chicken nuggets. So they don't like to consume those what they call mutt meat stuff. They think it's too processed. However, they all drink plant milk, and they go shopping for oats, for for almond, for even cashew. <laughs> That was mind-boggling. That they're not vegan, they're not vegetarian, they're not even flexitarians, but they all are shopping these、uh, plant-based、uh, dairy alternatives. And I remember a few years back when I was researching about microalgae, I I came across a, a research article saying that microalgae is actually a very wonderful dairy alternative ingredient. That's how I instructed my scientists to work on this idea. First, we have to tackle the issues that we have to make the protein flour water soluble. Then we had to make it to be having this texture that's good enough to make it into a plant milk. Because we're B two B business model, we're not B two C. Meaning that I'm not making this milk so that I announce to the world that I will come up with a consumer brand and then launch it into the retail market. No, we are a platform provider. We are a ingredient supplier. I want to tell the world, especially the food manufacturers, the dairy makers, even the dairy alternative makers, that we got this solution. Come work with us to help the world, and this could be a wonderful way to create more varieties for the consumers. Why? We're now working on just one strain of microalgae, but if we can use, like, say, ten or twenty, wow, we can really create a lot of interesting varieties. For the consumers and even for the whole world. And how does this stand up in terms of nutritional value? From the nutritional point of view, our dairy alternative made from microalgae has all the complete essential amino acids needed by the human being. Number two is that on the allergen level, a lot of people are lacto intolerant, as we are already very familiar with it. And there is no known allergen in the strain of the microalgae that we use. The third I want to mention is that using our technology, using our microalgae, we don't need to use antibiotics. We don't need to use growth hormone, and that itself is really healthy to the environment and also your body. Last but not least,、uh, and this this possibly has more to do with the sustainability and less than the nutrition is that we don't need substantial、uh, land area. We don't have to produce the greenhouse gas, and then we don't have to produce a lot of the、uh, waste. I'm not saying we should eliminate、uh, the dairy business. Dairy business will will keep going on forever, and and quite frankly, I even think dairy business in the global market will increase thanks to more people become more affluent, more having more income to spend, and also thanks to the fact that we're gonna have more people on this planet as well. However, with more alternative to the cow milk to supplement the growth in the demands. That's not be able to be supplied well by the cow milk, and that's what these dairy alternative industry is about, in my opinion. 
And so we're pr- trying to provide another supplementing solution. We're not trying to replace altogether the cow milk because they are not replaceable to begin with. And we're just supplementing the shortage from the growth of the demand. That's what we're trying to do. So I think in all sense, we're not only nutritionally sound and, and satisfying to, to the human body, we're even very sound to the whole environment that we're currently living in. That's my key message to your audience. And can you add things to it? So add extra nutrients and, and that kind of thing? Yeah, definitely. A hybrid product is what we have in mind as well, is that, you know, since nutritionally it is so different than any of the cow milk or even other plant-based milk alternative available in the market. And initially our protein, the price of our protein is going to be expensive initially. So we're thinking of a hybrid formulation to suggest to our customers that they can add our protein flour into their current plant-based milk product or even the dairy milk, cow milk product to enhance or diversify the nutritional value they can provide to their consumers. And so that, that is definitely one of the value propositions we're thinking of going forward to provide to the industry. How sustainable is that in terms of getting the raw product? And I guess the carbon footprint must be considerably lower than other methods of production. I love this question. So um, that's why I, I keep saying that this is really a much, much more sustainable business. What should I say? Production technology than anything else. One key reason is the fact that it is getting hotter and hotter to have a dairy cow milk farm next to a big city or not too far from a big city, number one. It is also very hard for the plant milk makers to get their raw materials directly from the surrounding of the metropolitan area. So say, for example, if you want to make a soy milk, your soy possibly always from the Midwest or, or possibly even as far as from Brazil or, or Uruguay, you know? And your, your, your raw material is not going to come in from, uh, say, upstate New York. You know, it's not possible. But with our technology, enable a plant-based milk maker or dairy alternative maker to set up shop next to or at least nearby London. And then... We also set up our bioreactor, our fermentation tech, nearby London. And then straight away, we supplied them the protein and cut down a lot of the carbon footprint. Now, you may ask me, then what do you feed your microalgae with if you set up your, your facility nearby London? There's, there's nothing to feed your, your, your algae. Well, I like that question again. We in Singapore, we constantly run short of fresh water, run short of this food, that food. That's how we came up with this industrial food waste to feed our microalgae idea, is that we want to be prepared. What happens if we run out of something all of a sudden, for whatever reason? What can we feed our microalgae with? And I believe nowadays, most of the big metropolitan areas will always have a microbrewery or a few microbreweries or even one giant breweries. And so the Spain grains from that city will be a wonderful feedstock for our microalgae babies. And so going forward, that's how we plan 
to set up our facility and cut down the carbon footprint. And that will be the key difference between us and all the other guys is that our technology really allow us to make it truly sustainable, going all the way down to the transportation and ingredient level. So if we're able to truly fully utilize our technology, I'm pretty sure this 25% can be cut down to close to 20%. And that will mean a lot to the sustainability initiative that we're so forcefully uh, trying to address to the world for. And that will really make a difference in our future, in my opinion. To produce the end product for the consumer, can that be done in existing facilities? And is it easy to produce at scale or will companies have to develop new technology to be able to utilize your raw material? They don't have to develop new technology to utilize our raw materials. And that is actually one of our goal to, um, uh, to make it. So this is actually also the key difference between us and all the other microalgae companies out there in the world is that we come from a food manufacturing background. So we know what food manufacturers want when they take in that protein flour and then plug it in into their current food formulation. So what we're doing with this protein flour is that you don't have to do any crazy thing. You don't have to buy any fancy machine in order to use our protein flour. Just use your current machine and plug it into your current formulation. You may need to tweak a little bit up and down in terms of temperature, in terms of timing, but that's about it. You can still use your current machinery, your current knowledge about how you make your your plant milk or even cow milk. And then straight away, you can make a finished product to launch into the retail or even to the restaurant, to the food service. We are coming up with something sustainable, something healthy. But on top of that, we also want to minimize the extra steps that our users have to do in order to use our protein. Because in in our opinion, that is the only way to truly create impact. Why? Because if you're not making it user-friendly to all the users uh, when they're using this protein flour, you're not making an impact. People don't want to buy it. And then you end up selling to just a few food manufacturers. That's not impact at all. So we pay a lot of attention. And we're pretty sure we will make it happen. And what about the cost you mentioned initially? Probably a higher cost. Uh, how do you get that down so that it's more cost effective? I like this question as well. You know, I was just asked about this question uh, the other day. I, because of my business, I study a lot. I pay attention a lot to the soy price index during the last 20 years. And for your audience, they cannot see, but the, the soy price index is like this. So slowly creeping up a upward slope in the last 20 years. And it's all reasonable. Why? You got more middle income families around the world, China especially, uh, even to some extent, India, South, South, South America, and even some part of the Africa. So more people become more affluent. They want to drink health, healthier, uh, like the Western world. And so soy is needed uh, by the world. And also not just the people are drinking or eating it. The animals we're eating are also eating it. So that's why the soy price index is slowly creeping up in the last 10 or 20 years. Now, for our technology... The bigger the tank, 
the lower the unit cost. Right now, we're only playing with 10,000 liter tank, 10 tons. You may think 10,000 liter, that's a lot. Well, we'll stop right there. The largest one used by the fermentation, food fermentation industry is 1,500,000 liter, I was told. And the largest one used by the microalgae fermentation industry or competitions is 600,000 liter. So think about it, from 10 to 600. Wow, I got quite a bit of room to drop my price, as you can tell. So my price will go like this, slowly but surely creeping down on a downward slope. So you, I just told you about the soy price is going slowly but surely creeping up. And my price is slowly but surely creeping down. When the two line crosses, microalgae, should I say, will be the soy of tomorrow. And straight away, Sophie's Biodutrient, SBN, will be like Archer Daniel Millen Company today. We will become the dominant protein supplier. You know, I'm laughing, but I'm not joking. I'm happy because I do see the world come to that day because you saw all the deforestation. You saw the picture. You saw the global warming. Bioprocessing, microorganism protein, which is us, is really the future. And that's why I'm really happy that I found this technology, that I started this company. When are we going to start seeing your product in products on the shelves? Because we're based in Singapore, there are some of the products, not in the milk format, some of the products on the shelf uh, using our protein already. But because at this stage, like I explained to you, the price is so premium, it is very limited edition. It's not easy to find. Uh, so we're already shipping our products. Good news for sure. But our challenge down, down the road next, next uh, step is how to expand it, how to scale up the business, you know. And that's what we're trying to do right now. So I told you that we're, we were doing 10,000 liter right now. We're trying to up again to 30,000 liter. And the goal is that by the end of the year, we're up to 300,000 liters. And when we make that happen, you know, not only we can expand our reach to uh, a lot more markets, but also we possibly will be able to set up our production center, the first outside of Singapore production center in uh, Europe. And that's what we're shooting for. And are there any other potential uses for this? I think it's time that we really take a closer look and serious look at it and see how we can utilize these microorganisms to make not only food, but even possibly down the road to use the lipid to make plastic replacement. So all the plastic we're going to use in the future can be biodegradable, can be not polluted, not choking the ocean that we're, we're surrounded by. My final takeaway for this world is that I just told you that there are about a million different species of microalgae on this planet Earth. Do you know how many we're studying at the point? Less than 30,000, possibly even just 20,000. Sky is not even the limit. When we think about moving to another planet, using the knowledge we have on my, these microorganisms, we may be able to help ourselves to produce foods or all the materials we need on the other planet out in the open without this crazy Matt Damon potato tent to create our own foods. 
So how lovely would that be if we really dive into this technology world? And now it's over to Dublin for our weekly look at the global dairy markets with Liam Fenton at StoneX. While this has been a relatively benign week in dairy futures market here in Europe, uh, prices relatively flat versus last week, there has been quite a bit of business trading at the same time. This is obviously in contrast to a lot of other commodity markets at the moment where uh, volatility has been quite high and trading has been very active. But I guess the likes of the GDT also yesterday was uh, was relatively benign, prices down 0.2% overall, signifying a, a relatively stable market. May-June for butters trading around the 4100, 4110 uh, level, um, more or less the same level as last week, maybe slightly up. Quarter three up slightly as well, trading around the 4175 level. Quarter four was trading around 4170 level last week and this week. And we still have quarter one trading around the 4000 level this week. May, June, skim of powder then, still trading around the 2575, 80 level. Quarter three off slightly, trading around the 2600 level. Quarter four slightly off as well, maybe by 10, 15 euros to the 26, 10, 26, 15 level. And then quarter one was trading around 25.90, just under the 2,600 uh, level. We also uh, relatively benign price movement wise, still trading around 1,000 euros a ton. Thanks a lot, Liam. We'll chat with you again next week. StoneX, formerly INTLFC Stone, provides risk management and margin hedging programs and services, as well as OTC hedging tool and M&A advisory services to the global dairy industry. And that's it for another podcast. And speaking of next week, we already have two interviews done and there are a few more still in the works. It's great connecting with people over Teams and Zoom, but I'm really looking forward to doing some face-to-face interviews again and eating out and even struggling with some different subway ticket machines, maybe. So I will leave you to come up with the things that you are most and least looking forward to. And if you want to, feel free to send me them, especially if they're amusing and I can use them on next week's podcast. And we also have some craziness in the village because they've installed some temporary traffic lights. So I guess it's time to go and check if there's gridlock with all of the tractors passing through and also get some lunch and hopefully not set off the smoke detector again. Also been having some podcast recording issues with my microphone this week, so apologies for that. Hopefully that will be fixed for next time. So until next time, wherever in the world you are, I hope you have a great week. Stay safe, take care, and as always, thanks for listening.